0: right now on Matter of Fact. You're a confronting the aftermath of mass shootings born from hate.
1: How could you forgive 400 years of terror and torture and discrimination and racism? And that's what occurred in Charleston as well as in Buffalo. It was an, an impact on a race of people.
0: Plus, what's the link between climate change and kids who are struggling to breathe?
1: We were
2: driving to the doctor, my asthma got more bad and more bad. Oh, that must have been scary.
0: Soledad talks with a young boy about his fears. And in the 1860s, workers were laying 1900 miles of track to connect east and west. Without those 16,000 Chinese workers, it would not have happened. How the building of the Transcontinental Railroad changed America's identity.
2: I'm Soledad O'Brien, welcome to Matter of Fact. The walk of grief is a long one. Buffalo, New York is now among a long list of cities finding their way forward after a deadly, racially motivated mass shooting. Charleston, South Carolina, knows that walk. Nearly seven years ago, on June 17, 2015, a white supremacist entered Emanuel AME Church and murdered nine Black parishioners. The perpetrator is now on death row. The members of the congregation are still mourning the collective loss of loved ones. The emotions are still raw. Malcolm Graham is a Charlotte, North Carolina city councilman. He lost his sister, Cynthia Graham Hurd, in the 2015 killings. Malcolm Graham, it's so nice to see you. Um, Start by telling me how you would describe how you're doing.
1: I'm doing fine. i um, um, keeping the faith and doing the work.
2: It sounds like a version of um, put your head down and just keep moving forward.
1: You can't discount what's happening around us throughout the country. Um, hatred, racism, and discrimination is with us every day. I believe it's systematic. My goal, my family goal, is to focus on how Cynthia lived versus how she died uh, and to do those things that she would want us to do, which is to involved in the community. She loved a great debate, civic engagement, and uh, she loved creating what I call healthy tension. When
2: I was in Charleston after the shootings, um, there were actually a lot of conversations about forgiveness, but I'm always curious how it feels for um, people like your family.
1: Um, I do not forgive. The killer in Charleston is in Buffalo. and didn't know my sister was a librarian, didn't know Reverend Pinckney was a state senator and a senior pastor. All he knew was that they were there and that they were Black, and that was enough. And, and that's a telltale definition of terrorism domestically, um, to, to inflict pain and shock into a community. And if we don't uh, pause as a country to acknowledge it, if we don't hold our elected officials nationally accountable for their rhetoric. If we don't get uh, do something about common sense gun legislation, right, uh, then as a country we're, we're just losing our moral authority to do anything.
2: Is it re-triggering for you every time there's a mass shooting? Every time you get an alert on your phone or you hear it on the news?
1: When I first heard about the the, the shooting in Buffalo, and my personal reaction was, I um, I understood how they felt, so I, I knew their pain and their suffering, um, their confusion, um, their anger.
2: What should happen now in Buffalo?
1: First, that we we bury the dead with grace and dignity and honor. Secondly, the focus should be on the broader community, um, that what occurred um, is not acceptable, right? Uh, and, And then we have to have this national conversation about race.
2: Social media, in a lot of ways to me, seems to kind of organize hate, like brings you know, like-minded people together. And racism, to me, seems to amplify uh, that hate. How do you fix that?
1: It's tough, right? It's hard work, right? It, it's self-examination and people doing what is really hard to do, which is uh, look at the man in the mirror and critique what we see. And men and women of good will Black, White, Democratic Republican, all understand that humanity is is important, right? Uh, and that country is a lot more important than party.
2: Malcolm Graham, nice to talk to you. It's nice to see you again. Thank you for doing this interview with me.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. Next, on matter
0: of fact,
3: we have a lot of truck traffic coming in. We have concrete slabs, we have one of the highest concentrations of New York um, public housing.
0: Soledad gives us a ground level look at urban heat islands and their impact on neighborhoods and kids. And later, this ER doctor wants to treat gun violence as a public health crisis.
3: Gun owners, people that don't own guns, politicians, school teachers, I think we all have seen the devastation in this country.
0: So what's her prescription for prevention?
2: devastating effects of climate change are being seen all around the world, but not everyone is impacted equally. A recent Environmental Protection Agency report found underserved communities are the least likely to be prepared for and recover from heat waves, flooding, and poor air quality. In fact, 34 percent of Black Americans are more likely to live in areas with the highest projected increases in childhood asthma. In a first of a series of reports, Matter of Fact is teaming up with salesforce.org to take a look at how these vulnerable communities are affected. When Octavia Jones leaves her home in the Bronx in New York City, she notices what she's leaving behind, the heat. We have family that lives outside of New York City and when we go to visit, even in the summertime, I feel like it's... It's hotter here in the city, it's even stuffy for me, so I can only imagine what it's like for Tristan, who has trouble with breathing. Tristan is Octavia's eight-year-old son. He's prone to acute asthma attacks. I'm Soledad. So nice to meet you. Come on, what do you say I buy you an ice cream cone? Especially when there's drastic changes in temperature. So you had a bad asthma attack back a couple months ago, right? Can you tell me about that one? What happened?
1: Well, we were driving to the doctor, my asthma got more bad and more bad.
2: Oh, that must have been scary. We were in the hospital for six days until they were able to control the wheezing. Wow, that was a bad one. New York City has one of the highest rates of childhood asthma in the country. In the South Bronx, there were 647 asthma-related emergency room visits for every 10,000 children in 2018. That's triple the rate of 223 asthma visits made by children citywide. So when Octavia heard that a new study was looking to find out why, she volunteered to help.
3: So within our teams of community scientists, there would be two, one would be the driver and one would be responsible for the sensor. Mm-hmm. So
2: Jolie the- Viegas is part of a team running the study at Columbia University's Earth Institute, which is working to measure the temperature disparities between poor and wealthy communities.
3: So how does this sensor work? So this sensor fires every second, it'll take air in and then the sensor here will measure it.
2: Volunteer community scientists, like Octavia Jones, drove the sensors around on their cars. Some through the Bronx, one of the poorest per capita areas, and others through the Upper East Side of Manhattan, one of the wealthiest. So for people who aren't New Yorkers, the Upper East Side is not very far from here. I mean, it's only a few miles. Were there giant disparities in the heat and the humidity? Yes,
3: especially within lower areas
2: of the South Bronx. The study revealed that the South Bronx was hotter, as much as seven degrees hotter, than Manhattan's wealthier Upper East Side, at the same time of the same day. Heat and humidity in an already polluted area makes the air more dense and makes asthma worse. This type of climate inequality is happening all over the globe. As temperatures rise, scientists say the effects of climate change disproportionately affect the poor because they live in more vulnerable areas and have fewer resources to recover from natural disasters. Adrian Hollis is an environmental attorney and scientist who advises local communities on environmental policy.
3: People were put in areas that flooded more. And with climate change, even more we have more hurricanes more wildfires chronic and acute flooding we do see it in poor communities communities of color and in rural communities you have the highways there's a highway there's
2: a highway dr melissa barber is a community activist with south bronx unite which organizes residents to demand more green spaces that scientists say reduce the heat We have a lot of truck traffic coming in.
3: We have concrete slabs. We have one of the highest concentrations of New York um, public housing.
2: Concentrated pollution, along with rising temperatures, creates toxic smog. That's the story of the Bronx, where Octavia ended up fighting to change things for her son. Why did you want to volunteer to be a citizen scientist and help with the heat index project? I wanted to show my children that we should want to help out in our community.
3: I want to be a part of whatever it's going to take for children
2: coming after him to not have to deal with the same severities that he has. The mapping project is underway in 35 vulnerable communities in the U.S. and other parts of the world. In future reports, we're going to take a look at some of the other reasons these communities are more likely to be in harm's way and how people are mobilizing on
3: climate issues.
0: Ahead on Matter of Fact, as shocking as they are.
3: Mass shootings are about 2% or less of all the firearm deaths that we
0: see. We examine gun violence and look at who's dying on America's streets. And later, this school district banned books by a Nobel Peace Prize winner and a Supreme Court justice. How the students made their case for overturning the ban.
2: to matter of fact, gun violence is now the leading cause of death in children and teenagers in the United States. According to the Centers for Disease Control, between 2019 and 2020, gun-related deaths among young people increased by nearly 30 percent. While gun control has long been a major political issue, it's also a matter of public health. Dr. Deborah Howry is acting principal deputy director for the CDC. Dr. Deborah Howery, it's nice to talk to you. Thanks for being with us. So how do you see gun violence as a public health issue and not a political issue or a a gun issue or a law issue?
3: So for me, it's simple. I'm an ER doc, you know, so I'd see patients come in after a gun violence injury and I want to know how I could prevent it. And then when I came to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, I knew that we could prevent it by focusing on communities and people and really looking at ways that we can intervene before the violence even occurs.
2: How long has the CDC been tracking information about gun violence and and what kind of tracking do you do?
3: So we've tracked data on many different health threats, you know, from high blood pressure to diabetes to gun violence. And the CDC's Injury Center has been doing this for 30 years. What is different, though, is two years ago, we received funding from Congress to be able to do research and evaluation of programs on gun violence.
2: What is some of the most surprising information that you have found in some of this research?
3: I think what is surprising but really disheartening is the increases. We've seen from 2019 to 2020, there was a 35% increase in the rate of firearm homicides. And even more disturbing is the racial and ethnic differences, with a 21-fold difference in firearm homicide deaths and our Black young men compared to our white young men. So Black young men are dying at a much, much higher rate
2: than white young men yes. we, when it comes to gun violence. Yes,
3: 21 times higher.
2: We don't talk about... That, that number of young Black men who are dying in, in gun violence. What explains this uh, this number that's massive? And then how do you think we should be thinking about it differently to give more attention to that versus the the mass shootings that seem to really take up the
3: headlines? Mass shootings are about um, 2% or less of all the firearm deaths that we see. And actually, the majority of firearm deaths are from suicide. And so that's another area that I think people should always think about is how lethal a firearm can be if you have thoughts of hurting yourself. So if you're going to have people recognize this as a public health
2: crisis, then what has to happen?
3: We know some of the risk and protective factors around firearm violence or around any health condition. And firearm violence, we know that. When I look at the vast majority of gun owners, they're responsible. So what we're focused on is how do you make sure you know that there's good safety education for children who do do sports shooting? How do you make sure that a gun owner who owns a gun stores it correctly and properly so that it's not used against them or a loved one? And to really just come together, I think we all don't want to see these needless deaths. And if we can prevent those deaths, we will have an impact.
2: Dr. Deborah Howry is with the CDC. Thank you for talking with me. My pleasure.
0: Coming up on Matter of Fact, A York County, Pennsylvania school banned hundreds of books. We knew that it wasn't right, so we started protesting, and we asked our friends to come along with us. Have these teenage protesters changed any minds? To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv.
2: Now to a matter-of-fact update. Last December, we aired a report about some students in York County, Pennsylvania, who were fighting back against their school's book bans. Most of the 300 books and films taken off the shelves were about race and LGBTQ subjects. Well, now we've learned, because of daily protests outside their high school, administrators reversed the bans. It turns out, those students aren't alone in their fight. In Wentzville, Missouri, students backed by the ACLU sued their school district for removing eight book titles. Now, so far, the board reversed its decision to ban four of those books, including Toni Morrison's book, The Bluest Eye, the lawsuit, though, is still active. The fights aren't just happening in courtrooms. Banned book clubs are growing in places like Kutztown, Pennsylvania. And in Austin, Texas, students run groups that read and discuss forbidden titles. Book bans are in effect in at least 26 states and 86 school districts, with Texas and Pennsylvania topping the list. When we come back... It blinked us physically, emotionally, financially for the very
0: first time ever a history lesson on the building of the Transcontinental Railroad and the immigrants who made it a reality.
2: finally today, May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It's an opportunity to pay tribute to the generations of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders who have enriched our history. The building of the Transcontinental Railroad represents one of the most important contributions of AAPI immigrants. That story was part of a matter-of-fact listening tour we called to be an American, identity, race, and justice. Here's an excerpt of a report from our special correspondent, Ray Suarez. As the Civil War moved to its end, two massive construction projects picked up speed. Immigrants and discharged soldiers headed west, laying track across the plains, starting in Iowa, while a workforce of largely Chinese immigrants laid track eastbound from Sacramento across the Sierra Mountains. The 1900-mile route connected Western pastures to Midwestern stockyards and Great Plains farms to Great Lakes mills. Once the railroad was built, these workers found their sacrifice hadn't earned a welcome from their new country. 1882, they passed this infamous Chinese Exclusion Act. If you were here, you could never become a citizen. The most offending thing for many of these Chinese was that they had been here for decades, and they could never, ever vote, could not become a citizen. And in addition, if they ever left this country, you could never come back. To see Ray's full report, go to our website. In the coming weeks, we'll be bringing you a new listening tour. It's called Trailblazers, Troublemakers and Dreams. Please join us for the live stream special event on June 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern on matteroffact.tv. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien. I'll see you back here next week.
0: If you missed our top stories about a man reflecting on the loss of his sister in Charleston's church shooting seven years ago, the impact of rising temperatures and increased pollution on kids with asthma, the CDC's effort to address gun violence as a public health issue, and a look at how students around the country are mobilizing against book bans, go to matteroffact.tv. And listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI, Pluto, and YouTube.